this year, 2020, what a year it has turned out to be. One that will never be forgotten. But in this year, we ask the question, we tell God, Lord, I'm available to you. We're his workmanship. He created us. He didn't create us to just go through life and not do anything. But he calls us to the field. He calls us to do his bidding, to do his service. I've heard it said, God has no hands but our hands. He has no mouth but our mouth. He has no ears but ours. He has no feet but ours. The world is in need of a savior. The world is in need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. The world is in need to hear the message of salvation. And God can use each of us in his service to touch someone, to reach someone for him, to tell them that he is the way, the truth, and the life. It is my sincere desire that you have given your life to Christ, that you've invited him in, and that you will allow him to use you because he's given you special gifts to be used to reach someone, to help them, to help them along life's way. This month, for the month of October, we have spoke on the theme, on the subject of God comforts his people. Truly, these are trying times. We are facing challenges that some of us probably have never imagined, could have imagined, could take place. But God wants you to know that he cares. And no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're encountering, he wants you to know that he has comfort for you. He has peace for you. The prophet Isaiah wrote that God said, if we keep our mind stayed on him, he would keep us in perfect peace. The Bible tells us that he'll give us a peace that the world or situations or problems cannot take away. People won't understand it. But if you rest in him, if you trust him, he will give you the peace. Our scripture today comes from John, the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, the first through the third verse. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Jesus says your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back again to receive you unto myself so that where I am, you can also be. Our subject today is let not your heart be troubled. God cares. He cares for you. This month, we've talked about how God wants to give us comfort, how he cares, how he's concerned. He wants us to have peace. He wants us to have joy. He doesn't want us to be sad or upset or concerned, but he wants us to have the fellowship with him, to live the abundant life, to live a life that is full of joy and peace. And we gave several examples so far where he speaks to his people. The first week, we, 
we shared the message that he gave the prophet Isaiah there in the 40th chapter, the first and the second verse, where he said, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her days or sad days are gone and that her sins have been pardoned. Judah had sinned against God and he had punished them, but yet still his love was there. And he's telling Isaiah, tell them the sad days are gone. Will you trust God to know that if you are in a situation now where your days are sad, there are better days that are coming. All we have to do is trust him and wait on him. Then we talked about how God talks, said how his eyes are on us, how he, he knows where we are. One part of the Bible says he knows the number of hairs that are on our head. We're his children. We saw in 1 John, the second chapter and the first verse, where John tells us there, he says, see how much our father loves us for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. We're God's children. If you've given your life to him, he is your father. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, when we open our prayer, when we come to him to say our father, he's our father who art in heaven. He's not like an earthly father. He, he doesn't fall into the trappings of abuse or, or doing something wrong or neglecting his children, but he cares. He cares to the utmost. John says that we are his children and we're loved. Yes, that's what we are. Then we looked there where Jesus said, you are my friend. If you obey me, if you follow the commands that I've given you, you are my friend. And he said that a friend is one that can stick closer than a brother. That's who he is. He said, I'm the type of friend who will lay down my life for you. That's a friend. He said, I'm the friend who will never leave you, nor will I forsake you, but I'll be with you always even until the end of the world. This is what God has promised us. This is what Jesus has promised us. But, but there's a price, there's a cost, there's a requirement that we must meet. Now, now I realize that different people have different values. I, I understand that different people have different guiding principles. Some people may want the benefits of membership, but yet they're not willing to join. Some people may demand benefits, but do not make the sacrifices to earn the benefit. I say this because God wants you all in. His promises, his, his care, his full array of love and, and protection are for his children, those who have given their life to him, those who have surrendered their will for his will. God will comfort us. He will, he will take care of his own. We as Christians will receive the full measure of his love that he will pour out for us. Yes, Jesus said, you're my friend and I won't hold anything back from my friends. I'm reminded of the hymn of the song 
that talks about the commitment that we should make to Jesus. It says, all to Jesus, I surrender. All to Jesus, I freely give. I will ever trust him in his presence daily live. Daily will I study his word. Daily will I pray to him. Daily will I lead and walk in the path that he has outlined for me. All to Jesus, I surrender. Humbly at his feet, I bow. Worldly pleasures are all forsaken. Sometimes we think that those things that we give up in the world for Jesus are, are so important and so critical. But you'll find out that they have no real value, no lasting value. What we find in Christ is the greatest gift that can be given to mankind. What we find in Christ is one who is always there, who won't abandon us or forsake us, one that has made a way for us. So would we say, as the, in the words of that hymn, take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender all, all to thee, blessed Savior. I surrender all. Thy Holy Spirit fill me with the power of the vine. The God, I surrender all to you. If you surrender your all to Jesus, he will give you his all. He won't hold anything back. Every promise that you read in the Bible, he has made to those who love him and care for him. No matter what life drops at your feet, God has promised that he will work it out for your good. Because Jesus is all powerful, because he loves us beyond what we can imagine or comprehend, he says to us, surrender to me, give me your life. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. As I studied for this message today, the Holy Spirit took me back to the 12th chapter. Yes, our, our, our message is found there in the 14th chapter, but it's always good to read the chapter before and the chapter after something that is given to us or taught to us. And I encourage you at least five times this next week, that you consecutively read through the 12th chapter, the 13th chapter, and the 14th chapter. You will receive a blessing in seeing how it highlights and it builds on it and it gives us so much more information that we can know and have to appreciate what takes place in the 14th chapter. The 14th chapter is one of my most beloved I, I love it. I've, I've used it or read it or re repeated or memorized it in my mind and brought it back many times to bring me comfort. And as a minister, as a pastor, often I've used it to give counsel and comfort to those who were mourning the loss or the passing of a loved one or a friend. But you know what? If you study God's word, you will find that there will be times that you, or passages that you have read time and time again, 
But yet this one time, God will give you an epiphany. He'll open your eyes to see, I didn't understand that before. And he'll give you a deeper understanding of his word. And that's what happened to me this time. As I began reading from that 12th chapter through the 14th, I gained a greater insight into the things that were taking place in the 14th chapter. Allow me to share some of those with you. Let me share with you what I saw. There in the 12th chapter, we can see the plot to crucify Jesus. It begins to unfold. Studying these three chapters, it gave me, as, as I said, a greater insight as to what takes place in the 14th chapter. When you study these three chapters, I want you to take note of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and the people. So, in the 12th chapter, you will find that Mary commits an act that we might gloss over or not fully appreciate or understand. The Bible says that she took a 12 ounce jar or a pound of expensive perfume and she poured it over Jesus' feet. Now let me put that in context. Not long before this, Mary and Martha, who were sisters and their brother Lazarus, Lazarus died. And so Jesus came to the family. He came to them to console them. But when he did, he worked a miracle. He worked a miracle. He brought Lazarus back to life. Can you imagine, can you imagine the joy that Mary and Martha experienced from what Jesus did here? That their brother who was dead, Jesus brings him back to life. And I believe it is this act that Mary has done here where she's expressing her love for her brother and her love for Jesus, for what he has done. She takes this expensive oil and she begins to, to pour it out on his feet. Then taking her hair, she wipes the oil into his feet. That was a special thing in that day. Because as a guest, as a host, when your guest arrived at the house, you would have a slave or, or a servant come and wash the feet of your guests and then oil them. Mary takes the servant's role. She tells Jesus, I love you so much. I take this oil and I begin to pour it on your feet. And I take my glory and I begin, I will wipe your feet. And I will put this oil into the pores of, of your, your, your feet. The other day, I was walking out of a store. And coming out of the store was a mom and a, her son. Oh, I'm guessing somewhere around pre-K age or so. And so, as any good parent, the mother says to the child, give me your hand. And the child said, No. I would have told my mother that only one time, if you know what I mean. And before I knew it, before I can, could grab control of, of what I was doing and saying, I looked at her, I said, I would give anything to hold my mother's hand again. Is there a loved one, or a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, that if you could just interact with them again, what joy that could be? 
So can we appreciate what Mary is experiencing as she takes this perfume and she pours it on the feet of Jesus and then she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. I have been told, I have read that in the Bible, Jesus, the Bible tells us that man is God's glory. And for a woman, her hair is her glory. And so now she is taking what gives her glory and she's giving it to God. She's saying, Lord, I surrender all to you. Now we'll find this account in the third verse of the 12th chapter. Very interesting, like in life, when, some, when something good is done, sometimes someone will find something wrong with it. And there in that fourth verse, Judas says, what are you doing? This, the money that you paid to get this could have been the salary of a servant for a year. That money should have been spent to feed the poor. But Jesus tells Judas, leave her alone. Here in this fourth verse, we find out some things interesting about Judas that the other uh, gospels don't describe. John says that, G that Judas didn't raise these concerns because he was concerned about the amount of money that was spent. It was because he was a thief. Judas was the treasurer of the group. He carried the money bag. And John says that he helped himself when he wanted. Can you imagine? But isn't that like life? It seems like those that will point a finger, those who were judge, really have a lot of their own problems. If Didn't Jesus say, if you would just take the speck out of your eye, then maybe you could help someone else? If, if you, He didn't call us to be judges, but he called us to help one another. And this is the same Judas that betrayed Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus says, let her alone. He rebuked Jesus, let her alone. For what she has done has prepared me for my burial. I don't think Mary had an idea this is what she was doing. I think she was divinely moved to show her gratitude to Jesus. But then, as I said, it begins to unfold. If we went down to the 27th verse of that 12th chapter, we will see where Jesus said, now my soul is deeply troubled. My soul is deeply troubled. Then he said, should I pray to the Father and ask him to spare me from this hour, to spare me from the cross that's ahead of me? to spare me from the pain and suffering that I'm about to endure? He says, no, this is the very reason that I came. Jesus was aware of the sacrifice he had to make for you and I. And then the Bible says the next day, he rode in Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey and the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. The 13th chapter goes on. It begins, if you will. It says, before the Passover was celebrated, Jesus knew 
that his hour had come. So we talk about Sunday, that, that Palm Sunday that we recognize it. And five days later, he celebrates or commemorates the Passover meal with his disciples. But already he knew that his time of suffering, his sacrifice was at hand. He knew that it was time for him to sacrifice his life and then return to the father. But John says he loved his disciples. He was concerned about how they felt. He knew that this would be crushing to them to know and to find out. But it says he loved them. Matter of fact, he loved them to the very end. He cared for them. As we unfold this, look at these different times that Jesus expressed how he's feeling. There to 1227, I said, he said, my soul is troubled. There in 13th chapter and the 21st verse, it says that after Jesus said this, he was troubled in his spirit and testified, verily, verily, one of you is going to betray me. This took place there when he was now celebrating the Passover supper. He completed it. And then he tells them, his disciples, I'm sad. I'm, 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 I'm hurt. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply troubled because one of you is going to betray me to death. One of you is going to turn me over to the Sanhedrin council. One of my own. How would, how would you feel knowing that your, one of your best friends is about to turn you over to lose your life and you haven't done anything wrong? Jesus knew what was lying ahead of him. Again, on Palm Sunday, the crowds are yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, to the highest. Five days later, they're yelling, crucify him, kill him. When Pilate tried to make an agreement, he says, here's a known robber and a murderer, Barabbas. Should I give you Barabbas or should I give you Jesus, whose only fault or crime is that he said he was the son of God? And the same crowd, this crowd now says, give us Barabbas. Oh, Mary had done a great thing. She, she may have not have known it, but she was preparing Jesus for his burial. Jesus said, I give my life. No one takes it, but I give it for my friends that they will be, receive salvation in me. Friday morning, Jesus is on trial before the Sanhedrin. He knew that was what was coming to him, but think about what he endured. They spit in his face. They struck him with their fists. They slapped him and said, Messiah, prophesy and tell us who hit you. Who did these things to you? They mocked him. Thursday night, he took his garments, he, he wrapped a towel around it, he got a water basin, and he washed the feet of his disciples. But then yes, a few, just a few hours later, one of them betrays him with a kiss. But yet he could say to him, friend, where have you been? When the soldiers apprehended him, 
The other 11 fled and ran. All of them abandoned Jesus. Yet we can still see just before this, as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, come with me. My heart is troubled. I want to pray to God. Pray with me one hour. And the Bible says that they fell asleep. But you know what Jesus was doing while they were sleeping? He says, my prayer is not for them alone. He's praying for his disciples. But catch this. Look at this. He says, I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. All right. That they may all be one as father, you and I are one. May they also know and believe in me. Here's Jesus. Hours away from crucifixion, hours from being beat to a pulp. And what is he doing? He is praying for you and he's praying for me. He prayed for his disciples and a disciple is a student of Jesus. Do you see the paradox here? Do, do you see what's going on? Jesus is not focused on himself, but he's focused on you and I. Look at the love that he has for us. Look at how he cares for us. And then he says, he's troubled, he's concerned, but he says to his disciples and to you and I, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many places, many rooms. Now, don't get the idea that this is just in the suite by and by. Don't think this is just something we have to wait to die to get. But Jesus walks with us. He talks with us through every event of our life. Every moment when we're sleeping, he's there. When we're working, he's there. When we're eating, he's there. Even when we are doing wrong, he's there. Why? He said, I'll never abandon you. I'll never leave you. I'm there. And he says, I love you so much. I've promised to be with you for eternity. These bodies, they have an expiration date. This temple one day will, will fall and fail. But the Bible tells us absent from the body, present with the Lord. And Jesus says, I am going away to prepare a place for you that where I am, one day you will join me for eternity. One day, the troubles of this world will be something that is left behind us. One day, we can have eternal joy with him. He's preparing that place for you and for me. So no matter what life brings your way, no matter what goes wrong, no matter what trouble comes against you, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. He will work it out if we are faithful to trust him. He's already said he does hear and he does answer each of our prayers. 
Oh, yes, he does answer them. He may tell us yes, no, or wait. And certainly for us, at least for me, the hardest is to wait and say, I'll wait on him. But, oh, Job gave us the words when he said, I will wait on the Lord. I'll wait until things change. I'll wait. King James says it this way. I will wait for my change to come. My brothers and sisters, let not your heart be troubled. Trust God. Know that he cares for you and that he loves you. Know that he wants you to have the comfort that only he can give. Don't think it's in, in things or possessions or job, or talent, or this or that. Get Jesus into your life. Surrender your life to him. He has promised that he would provide what you need. I'm a witness he has. He says if we'll seek him first, that he would even give us the desires of our heart. And if you truly love him, you want what his will is for you. And I say that out of the voice of experience also. I've wanted some things. And when I got them, I found out I was better off without them. That could be things and that can be people also. You may just be saying, Lord, give me this woman. Lord, give me this man. Make them love me. But yet in the end, that may not be what God wants for you. Trust him. Trust him to give you what he wants in your life. As we go through these times, threat, fret not thyself or don't worry. Don't get all upset. Don't let anxiety overtake you. But if you have given your all to Jesus, know that he will give you his all. He knows what's coming tomorrow and he knows what happened yesterday. And he always holds you in his hands. He'll provide for you. Only trust him. Only trust him just now. Earlier, I mentioned how can one get the benefits? How can one surrender their life to Jesus? It's really very easy and very simple. If you have not invited Jesus into your life, would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Lord, I give you my life. Jesus, come into my heart. I give you control. I believe that you're the son of God. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. And Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead. And I know that because you live, if I give you my life, I'll never lose it. But I also will live with you. In Jesus' name, amen. My friend, if you have prayed that prayer, you have received Jesus' salvation. I encourage you, join a Bible-based church. Unite yourself with Christians who are studying his word, 
and doing their best to live the life that he has called them to live. That's how you will grow. That's how you will be strengthened. You're welcome to be a member of our church. Just contact us. Even if you choose not to, I would love to help you as you start this journey. Reach out to us. Our contact information is on our website. And so my brothers and sisters, as we depart this gathering, I pray for God's blessings to you and for you and your loved ones. I encourage you to trust him with all of your heart. Know that no matter what's going on, he's still there for you and he'll work it out. Let us pray our prayer of benediction. Dear Father, as we go our individual ways, we thank you for this time that we have been able to share together. Holy Spirit, take what has been said and expand it in our understanding. Lead us in your word, dear Father. Help us to trust you and depend on you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. May God bless you and may God keep you.